well, thank you all for coming tonight. Um, and also, uh, we need to get ready for the 11th edition of Untitled Art Miami Beach, which is taking place November 28, 1 to 8 p.m. So I hope to see you all there. Uh, I am thrilled to introduce tonight's speakers in a conversation, in a second conversation, focusing on emerging galleries and art spaces in Miami. Uh, I am joined today uh, by Leiden Rodriguez Casanova from Dimensions Variable, Brooke Dorsch from Emerson Dorsch, and Graham Bonnier from the Bonnier Gallery, that they will be in conversation with Omar Lopez Chahut, that you, many of you know already, which is artistic director and curator at Untitled Art. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. I am Clara from Untitled Art, director of development and programming. And of course, please note your questions for the end of the panel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Clara. <laughs> thank you. Um, can you hear? Yep, great. Uh, thank you, everyone, for coming tonight uh, to um, be part of this uh, conversation that we are going to have here. Um, and uh, as Clara mentioned, they are somehow emerging, but not, because Brooke has been uh, a gallerist for 30 years in Miami. Uh, Emerson Dirge, um, 31 years now. 31, yeah. 31. You um, Actually, this month is going to be 32. 32. Right. Um, Brooke, um, could, we could say that Brooke is an emerging and young gallery because he is known for supporting a lot of young artists. And I see Beth here who uh, is the director uh, of the gallery. And she came on board probably five years ago, around? Uh, about 2019. Oh, my God. Only th three years. So I was very excited to see this collaboration uh, between Yvette, who is somebody that I respect uh, in many ways for what she's done, and also... Brooke, who is another gallery that I have a, a, a lot of uh, respect for in terms of many things, uh, supporting um, emerging artists, mid-career artists, and also older artists. But it, it, it is funny when they say emerging, but um, I would say I knew the gallery when it was in Wynwood, and also when you uh, made the transition to the new location, which yeah. is more, I would say that neighborhood is Little, little Haiti. It's Little Haiti, yeah. Little it Haiti. Is, uh, little Haiti. Yeah. Um, the reason why I'm making this brief introduction for each of, of these uh, three initiatives is because even though um, one of them, which is Bonnier, the Bonnier, came from Boston and had a space in Boston for, was it Boston or? Oh, you were living in Boston, but you didn't. You got to use the mic. Okay, good, good. Thank you. I thought you opened a, or you had a, a exhibition no, we space there. opened our there. space here in Miami in 2018. 2018. So he's a newcomer. But all three uh, chair Miami because uh, Bonnier uh, Grant uh, will be uh, most likely tell you a little bit of, 
if if you wish, uh, a little bit about your personal history, which I thought was very interesting, how you were conceived in these cities, and especially especially connected to a very interesting project that happened a long time ago that he would be, which is the Pink Islands of uh, Cristo, Cristo Pink Islands. So he will tell you a little bit more about that. I recently became aware of Onier's uh, or Grant's space. Um, I would always pass by because it was a peculiar location. And I would always ask myself, where do I park? Uh, so, because it's all, for you that are uh, here in, uh, from Miami, uh, the gallery is on 7th Avenue, which is um, Alapata. So this is in a different uh, neighborhood to where um, uh, Emerson Dorsch is. And it is a beautiful, beautiful space. It's industrial. It's, um, it's also interesting how the gallery presents uh, work of emerging mid-career New York or uh, out-of-town artists, as well as local artists uh, like Joseph Mary and Amanda Keeley, which you probably know, which are two of the Miami artists that the gallery is committed to and working with. But um, I think Grant will tell us a little bit more about everything and how he ended up um, a opening a space. And then here, dimensions variable. Um, you all know dimensions variable. I mean, I remember, and, and I have to say this, years ago, when even before they had the space, they were working as artists, which is Francis and Leiden, who's sitting right next to me. And they were in the design district, when the design district was mostly an artist. A, a lot of artists were there, you know, in temporary spaces, making work. There was a very strong art community uh, happening. And this was probably, oh my God, this was before Untitled. And Untitled is going to be 11 years. Uh, and this was before my first connection to Miami, which was the residency that I did where many artists, many of the local artists at um, Legal Art, which became uh, Cannonball, the Cannonball Residency. And that that was amazing because uh, I, I had the opportunity to meet so many local artists that are now very recognized and doing a fantastic job and is still committed to the city of Miami. But prior to that, I met Leiden, and then Leiden and Francis, Leiden and Francis, and they both came to New York. And I remember your kid was really small. My God, so it's been a long time. And we had lunch at a place on the Bowery. For those of you that don't know me, I'm uh, from, I live in New York, but I'm a lot in Miami. I think I'm now most of the time in Miami, but I still keep my place in in New York, and I live close to what used to be called the Bowery Bar, on the Bowery, and uh, and we met there, and we had a fantastic and uh, a conversation about art, about many things, about their work, and the space, and what they were doing. So I'm very uh, and and I wanted to say thank you in public because they 
recognized my work as a curator recently in a fundraiser for the space. And I was very happy to see so many people come and support not only the space, but also people that, um, that I truly care about. And to see them there was just, just very special. Um, but I want, I, want, I want you also to, uh, to talk a little bit about what motivated you to open the space. I do remember prior to you, there were other, other run spaces like the house, which was an earlier, it was, I think, in the mid to late 90s. And it was a very interesting space, very experimental And then there was Locus Project that came around as an artist-run space. I don't think it's any longer an artist-run space, but it's a space for artists. That's the difference. Um, but it's still so much connected to artists in, in many ways. And then there is dimensions variable, which probably, I mean, and, and I would love for you to tell me if there are some new spaces that I'm not familiar with that are run by artists, um, in Miami. So anyway, so this is a brief introduction more than anything. I think I would like to start with you, um, Brooke. Uh, Brooke. Me? Me? Yes. All right. Um, I, wanna, I want you to tell us a little bit about 31 years ago. How was the art scene in Miami? It, this is pre uh, our Basel week, which is a major thing here. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So I I started, um, and when you mentioned the Wimwood location, that was my second location. My very first location was a um, second story uh, apartment. I was in my apartment building on Coral Way, right near the Vizcaya Metrorail section there of Coral Way. And it actually fun, funny, in the, ah, funny, 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 funnily enough. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it was on Cuban Memorial Boulevard, right where the, uh, on the other end of where the Anna Mangetta tree is. It was all the way at the other end on Coral Way. And I remember going up and down that, that area and the, the apartment actually is what fueled me wanting to start showing art. Um, I was, At that time, I was interested in what was going on in the, the city. And at that time, the, the major sort of thing was the, um, the, the Coral Gables had a Friday art walk. And I, I have to say, I, I literally would go every month for the first Friday of the month to see what was going on. And I, I got bored of what I was seeing. I really didn't see anything that was exciting me. Other, with a few exceptions. I mean, Fred Snitzer was there in the Gables at that time, Gennaro Ambrosino. Those two galleries, they were taking risks. And, um, and with some of the things that I was seeing in their galleries, where it was different every month, as opposed to sort of like the same style over and over and over again that I saw and made me want to start showing uh, artworks uh, in, in my space. Um, my gallery that at that point was literally an apartment that had windows. I had no furniture and I had a little studio in the back. And I started to uh, hang around with some friends over at the University of Miami, where I met Robert Chambers, a number of other artists. And I started showing these MFA students that, that were there. Okay, a little louder now, sorry. <laughs> um, 
And I said, hey, I really like what you're doing. I would go to the actual critiques at the, they used to have a Friday afternoon critique. I would be able to take off work and go to those critiques and hear them talking about art. And I said, this is fantastic. And uh, then they would go back and make their work and go back and do an MFA show. But I'd, then the next weekend, I'd go back to Coral Gables and see the same thing. I said, no, we should be showing this stuff. It's much more interesting. And that's where I, I, I started. So I started showing work in 1990, 1991. Uh, when I moved into that space, I quickly boarded up the windows, actually put drywall over the windows and uh, put curtains on the other side. So you can actually, the curtains are actually still there. I drove by about uh, six months ago and the curtains that my mother made are still in the window and the window, the, 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 the windows are still have drywall over them <laughs> just so I had more wall space so I could hang more, more work. And then I started inviting, um, I had some problems with the city and eventually I realized I needed to buy a space and that's when I moved to Wynwood. But uh, that that's sort of like the beginning. That's, that's very interesting. I didn't know that you started in, in an apartment, but I completely agree with yeah. you yeah. how boring <laughs> I would come uh, spend time after a school. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was still in, in art school, and, yeah. and I would come to Miami to visit my parents, and I would do the... The Coral Gables, the Coral Gables yeah. uh, thing. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. Except for the exceptions that you talked yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and and uh, most of those galleries were on Ponce de Leon. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, very, very traditional, very, very, very boring. Yeah. It, yeah. It, just, it just didn't excite me. And I, I moved to Miami from New York, and I had visited some galleries in New York before I moved. And, and I just... It was much more vibrant, and I feel I needed to do something like that. Right, um, right. And that's I, that's why you didn't know what to expect whenever he came in. So, well, you you are a pioneer on finding uh, a space that is not the traditional white cube. I mean, you yeah. made it kind of into a, a white cube. Currently, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but in your apartment, and I think uh, when I talk to young uh, uh, people that want to open a space or want to curate, I always tell them, you need to think about uh, outside the box. You yeah. you need to create your own space or create your create your spaces. Right. It could be outdoors. It could be anywhere. You right. could actually activate art in any way without committing to a, 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 an expense that could definitely make and, you move away from it but there are ways of doing things yeah, yeah and, and especially when you're working with i think artists that are emerging you know there's always a way everybody it, it's it's sort of that that whole do-it-yourself is aesthetic you know the DIY aesthetic is something that is is i think always been built in with me i would when i bought the space in winwood it was much larger. It was mainly so I didn't have to rent anything anymore because I didn't want to continue pay rent, paying rent. So I was able to afford something in Wynwood. Uh, and I had been to one show at Locust. They had only just opened. And uh, we were a block away from each other. I found this great warehouse. But I, I had all the artists came and helped me put up walls, do the electricity, do plumbing. We did everything in that space. The Wynwood that you encountered back then was a completely different <laughs> place. Ah, uh, yes, and, this uh, is true. I mean, it was just uh, 
it was very, uh, as I remember, warehouses and a strong Caribbean community, mostly Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. And Honduran. And Hondurans. Hondurans and yeah. from Honduras. Yeah. My neighbor uh, across the street was from Honduras. And, and, yeah. No, this is, this is interesting how Miami's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we'll go back to, to you because mm-hmm. I have some other questions. Sure. But I'm, I want to ask Grant a little bit about his uh, decision of coming to Miami. And I know you have a history here and I hope you can talk a little bit about it. And, and it's so interesting. We spent like three hours talking at his gallery about, you know, his, his uh, connection to New York, everything that you, he grew up in New York, but, uh, or you have a very strong connection to the city, but also to Miami as well, to both. And, and, um, and then to me, it's interesting because you do come from an art background in terms of your family history, but also the fact that you decided to open a gallery. How, how did that happen? And, and in Miami and opening in, in this particular location, what uh, motivated you to do that? Yeah, so, um, you know, my, my father uh, is also an art dealer and... Uh, moved from Sweden to New York in the 60s and uh, was good friends with Leo Castelli and Donald Judd and a lot of these really seminal figures from that time. So, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in the industry as it was. And uh, one of my dad's good friends was Cristo. And when Cristo was working on running fence, my father, you know, would drive him around during the project and Cristo famously, you know, never worked with galleries. He had maybe a dozen dealers over the years who would sell his works for him if he wasn't, if he and Jean-Claude weren't, you know, selling them directly. And um, my father was, you know, in the 70s, like his main guy. And uh, so when he came, when Cristo came down to work on the islands, he called my father and said, come, come down to Miami and hang out on the boat. And my mother had just moved from St. Louis down here and gotten a job working at, um, breakers was breakers. And yeah. And, uh, she got a gig at volunteering on the surrounded islands and Christo was driving around the islands on the boat with a megaphone, ask, you know, shouting instructions. And my dad spotted my mom from the, you know, on the Island, and he grabbed the megaphone from Cristo and asked her out to dinner from the boat. And I showed up a year later. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very sweet story. Uh, and yeah, Cristo, Cristo loved to remind me that he was, resp- I'm responsible for you. Uh, and uh, so I, I grew up here. You know, my father would leave every Tuesday and he would fly to New York and then he would come back every Friday. And sometimes I would go up and, you know, hang out with him and like Paula Cooper's gallery. She was like a godmother to me. And, um, you know, I, I was really fortunate, you know, I, I had such an incredible upbringing and, uh, you know, I was, I, I stayed here for undergrad. I went to UM and then, uh, I went to Boston for an MFA in creative writing, you know, which was what I'd been pursuing. And, uh, my in 2017 my my wife and i got pregnant and you know we're both from here 
and we wanted to be close to family. So we, we moved back down to Miami and I'd been gone for six years. You know, um, I, I worked one art job in Miami once I was like 18 or so. it was like the second year that Basil was here. I worked a booth for Javier Huffkins and art fairs were a completely different animal. Like I could work a booth for Javier Huffkins and it wasn't a big deal because no one was really making money. And um, we came back and I was just blown away, you know, in 2017 by how much the art world had progressed here. You know, there really was just this great vibrancy and it was exciting, you know. Um, and at the time I was working uh, at Books and Books, you know, Mitch Kaplan was an old family friend. And uh, when I came back, I just immediately wanted, you know, something here while I was here. And in, in the meantime, while I was working there, I would go around the city and I would go to Pam and all these new institutions and things, you know, things that hadn't been here before I left. And, uh, you know, realized that there was an opportunity to kind of open a space and create a program, you know, that speaks to my own aesthetic and my own, you know, ideas about what I would want that program to be. And it, it, it is, it's something that's kind of unique here in this space, you know, that kind of, you know, the stuff that I grew up around and the stuff that I had access to, you know, if I opened that space in New York, you could throw a stone and hit another program doing like the same exact thing. But here it, 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 I had the opportunity to stand out. So, um, you know, I, I went undercover as an art handler for six months and I worked like every major collection in this city. And six months later I opened the space and that was that. That's interesting. Uh, you told me about that particular six months where you wanted to really see uh, how things operated or functioning in the city in those in those uh, particular uh, situations um, but also what was interesting is that and I'm sure a lot of you already been to the space is that you have a great uh, way of connecting art history or most recent art history I would say um, 60s, 70s through the 80s to younger generation of artists. Uh, um, I'm always um, impressed when I go you, to your space to see an artwork by a fantastic artwork by a, a dead artist or an older artist that is really important in terms of the conversation and to see it in conversation with a living artists or younger artists or even mid-career artists is really interesting because it doesn't feel it feels like it feels very natural the way you put them in conversation it's not just about showing an artwork or or something that is part of the secondary market yeah my um you know my approach is really steeped kind of in my background in in literature and, and poetry you know um I approach it the same way I think about uh, putting together poems in a collection or, you know, I think about poets and artists who have been important to me and how often 
their work was in conversation with other artists and, you know, contemporaries and, you know, artists, you know, that they looked up to, you know, writing a poem after another poet, you know, it's, it's a conversation that takes place, you know, whenever a visual artist or a writer or a musician or a filmmaker decides to create something, they're contributing something to a larger conversation. Yeah. And and I, I like to see work in conversation with each other. And, you know, a lot of these artists you talk about, you know, these very large seminal figures, you know, I've had the, the privilege to meet a lot of them and get to know a lot of them. And, you know, none of them have the same reverence for themselves that other people hold, you know, for them. That's you know, they, yeah. That's they, interesting. they don't see themselves that way. The same way most artists don't see themselves that way. Most artists consider it, you know, flattering or, or at the very least, you know, interesting to be a part of a larger conversation. And so, you know, that's what I wanted our program to be. I wanted you to be able to walk into our space and see like a million dollar Judd stack on the wall, you know, next to an emerging artist and not give, you know, uh, not, not give reverence to one over the other, you know, and feel like you have access to it. And, you know. and, and have them yeah. work together. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, you get to see somebody like Gecko, uh, uh, a piece that I blew me away, like a very special work by this artist uh, who doesn't have a huge production and to see a, a museum quality work in a very um, casual way was very interesting because it, it felt very special to to have that kind of... Uh, and, and we talked about it. It was so beautiful, that drawing. And yeah, and 1960s... Oh, the Twombly. No, the, the Gecko. The, the Gecko. The Gecko work. Oh, the Shandau? Oh, Shandau. The Mirror Shandau. Oh, yeah. yeah. The I, I apologize. Nineteen seventy-six. Nineteen seventy-six. I look at so much stuff that sometimes I'm, yeah. I, I, get I get confused. It. <laughs> but with it, with do not it worry. Talk, <laughs> it happens to us all. <laughs> uh, but but one thing that they all share in common is a connection also to education and uh, to all three spaces. And I I was also very impressed that you give your gallery a space every year to the MFA students yeah. that, yeah, maybe that was, you can talk a, a little bit about that too. That was really important for me. Um, you know, it was a huge culture shock for me going to Boston. Uh, I had, you know, a love-hate relationship with that city. But one of the things that I really loved about it was that there was so much opportunity as a student, you know, and at the time I was also working as an adjunct professor. So, you know, there's a school on every block and, you know, it's just the perfect place to be if you want to exist in academia. And it was one of the things that I really lamented, you know, not being stronger here in the city when I came back, you know, and I thought about a lot of the things that I was a part of at UMass, you know, we had this great reading series every month where like, you know, poets and writers from Emerson and, UMass and BU, like we would all get together and be, it it felt like you were part of a community that didn't exist just solely in your own school. And there was so much cross pollination and, you know, the schools really supported each other. There was a thriving arts community as a result of it. And, 
you know, that was something that, you know, I was really adamant about when we started our program was I want to make sure that we're finding ways to create a platform for local students here, because it was the one thing that I felt I didn't have enough of here, which was opportunity. So, you know, like Brooke, you know, I, when we, the first year I started going to the BFA and MFA critiques and, um, you know, once we got our season down and figured out how we would schedule our shows, we do four shows a year. Um, we do them seasonally. We, it gives us more time to have longer shows and prepare for them. And the summer became, you know, our default MFA show. We started that last year and each summer we will use the summer to uh, showcase MFA students from UM and FIU. It's, and yeah, go ahead. That's no, great. no, I'm just saying it's much needed yeah. in the city, uh, in, in Miami. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, we see more and more uh, museums, uh, private museums opening with great things, but more resources should go to the art schools yes. to support that because it's not going to become a great art city unless you have a strong art schools. Right. And whatever little you can do that you all three are doing, it, helps. it, it helps, you know. And hopefully some people will put some money and, uh, and support that because if you're beneficiating from being here and showing your collections here, be generous and yeah. give money and support the, the, the art schools in, in Miami. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, lady, <laughs> here is our artist run space. Um, for those of you that perhaps uh, are not familiar, but I think probably everyone here is familiar with what you do. It is uh, fantastic. Uh, I like the building a lot. Maybe you can tell us a little bit how you started. I remember when you were in downtown Miami, right across or right across the Miami Dade College. Miami Dade College. It was very strange building that was, and <laughs> and maybe you can give us a little bit of an idea of how you and um, how do you both decided to open a space. And, and because you're both amazing artists with a very rigorous practice, and I always wonder how artists can focus also on their work and also work or create a space for a broader conversation and 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 also maybe you can talk a little bit about that uh, project that I was fascinated by which is the women's archives um, which I thought that's that's the kind of things I want to see spaces doing um, uh, the show that was up was incredible uh, but also the fact that they have that space and an office there and and Probably tell us a little bit how that happened and how, you know, a little bit about your history. Sure. Um, so we're, we're on a mission in a way to let everyone know that uh, artists can do more than one thing. Um, and, uh, and I think that, like, I was, uh, I kind of was interested in doing this way back, going a little bit and back towards uh, 
some Miami uh, history here. Um, just out of school, and me and a couple of artists founded another space in '97, um, and it was just a warehouse, and we'd started having shows, and there were a lot of students coming back from from school at that time, um, and you know, one of the first artists coming back from school that showed there was William Cordova. Um, and, and for some reason, like, I always think back to like, why I've been doing what I, what I've been doing. And it all kind of stems from like, I don't, I think it's like 1998 going to the cameo theater with a friend of mine. And we walked into like this punk show and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? (laughs) And it was just so insane. And I feel, and, and, and that's sort of been something that I, carry around but then also i have to like you know give props to brooke because i remember you know he's talking about this apartment space i remember going to that apartment space i remember going up the stairs i think you're one of the only ones in the room that have seen that apartment space and and i went up to this apartment space and i looked around i'm like wow this guy drywalled himself in (laughs) i was like this guy's insane and i loved it I loved it. It was like someone who was just like so inspired and I was in the same space because I saw it as my art practice was making work and presenting work. And I feel like that's really um, linked also to the fact that, you know, I'm this Cuban guy, my family immigrated uh, here in the 80s. So there was this kind of like feeling about about creating platforms for like saying shit and doing shit and like ideas and doing whatever the hell you wanted. And like, I feel like that's like the ultimate like mission. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of where, you know, in 96, 97 is where that first bug appeared. And then in 2003, we decided I had already met my partner, wife, many other things, Francis. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we were just kind of like, well, we want to focus on our work. And so I closed that space, that space, that original space that I found, it was called box and closed that space down. Uh, actually, uh, another note for all to maybe make on, uh, Miami art history. The first gallery exhibition that friends with you ever had was at box. Um, where was it and that was Bird on road s- no Bird no road. that was on 17th that was the the oh, the, the, the space. new space. This space it was on 17th and northeast 2nd around there very close to fred um, schnitzer's gallery yeah right now. yeah yeah um and and so anyway that was like that first inspiration and then stop that space we wanted to focus on our work uh many busy years um led to um a really busy 2008 shows in Miami, New York, meeting up with Omar. Um, and then, um, and then we, we came, we had just come back. Actually, we were invited to a residency in Italy and Francis just happens to tell me, Oh, I'm pregnant. And so we go on this residency and she's enormous. And, um, and so we come back from that residency. And at this point, we had already been working in a studio that was donated to us in the design district. 
uh, by Dacro and Craig Robbins. And he was, which Omar mentioned earlier, he had been donating a lot of studio space to a lot of artists in that area because there were a lot of storefronts that weren't being used at the time. So we were uh, fortunate enough to have this incredible space to work out of. And we had already begun the conversation about the bug that I had been bitten with before in 96, 97. And, and so baby's coming along. We're having this conversation. We come back from the residency. Our child is born. Two months later, we open Dimensions Variable. And it was like, we have no money. Come and do some projects. You know, and we had all kinds of eager artist friends that were interested in doing it. But the fortunate thing we had was this donated space. Um, and so we talked a lot about how this would be a way for us to create an, uh, an additional platform in the city to showcase the kind of work we wanted to see in the city. But at the same time, also us remaining connected to our community uh, our studios were also in the space. So, so there was a kind of capital that came with us running the space. Part of our payment was running a space and having our studios there. And so it just kept growing from there. We were invited to apply for a Knight Foundation grant and received it. And then we had to move around and the design district worked with us as long as possible. Um, and then we were invited to many places to do the same scenario where we were donated space and it was you know the pitfalls of that are you know everybody knows the pitfalls of that but what we remember is that all the money we were able to raise was going to artists because we didn't have to worry about rent and so that for what it's worth was something um and so we moved to downtown miami to an old uh, fishing store uh, that we shared with a bunch of other artists. Then we were invited by Miami-Dade College to take over one of their galleries. And we thought, this is big. And so big that it was in the New York Times. And it was like, this is the opportunity for an enormous college university to take a project like this under their wing and us to be able to have students come through, but also to be able to craft a great program. Um, but that I, imploded. That's what I meant by yeah. education because yeah. I, I thought that was so uh, unique. Exactly. So unique. It was, and I was very excited about that because Miami Dade College is a community college. So we thought that a program like this in a non Ivy League setting to have the kids connect with this kind of work, this is great. Um, but it just didn't work. Uh, the corporate model is really complicated. And so we had to leave a year later, um, and then 2009, we opened this new space, which is in Little River, on the border of Little River and Little Haiti, so kind of in there, uh, on 79th Street. Um, and this is the biggest space we've ever had. It's 4,500 square feet. We have three galleries, um, but we also opened a larger space because we wanted to multiply, like, expand the model in which we have studios there so we now have five studios and the idea is like can artists come together collectively to run their own gallery and project space can we create a a, an, a, a hybrid 
that functions like a museum, like an art center, like a gallery, and takes all the good things from all those projects, all those entities, and discards the bad. Um, and so we're trying to work with that experiment. So a lot of us contribute. Um, so I always say, like, we don't have offices, we have studios, and everyone who works there contributes to the project. We participate in art fairs, we help uh, place works in collections and engage in the market, but we also have a very healthy private foundation and public granting uh, 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 mechanism. And all of that is in support of, of new contemporary art um, in the city. And, and I think uh, the initiative of uh, Women's Archives is yes. a very interesting project. I was very happy to see that because I love, I love what artists collect and what they look at and what their references are. And sometimes it gets thrown away or overlooked But the yeah. fact that you putting it yeah. open to the public, it helps us, the the viewers uh, or the people that are familiar with the artist work, because understand their practice. Yeah, much I mean, better. I can I can touch on that a little bit. When we wanted to open the space, we knew our friend uh, Anita Sharma was a uh, who's an archivist. Where he, she was working with for multiple private collections. Um, and she wanted to start working on this archive project. And we had the space and we said, hey, this is important. Archives are important. Have your office here so that you can work from here. And then she, she took over a little bit of space and said, can I have an archive show? And we said, that would be great, temporarily. But then, but then it just kept going. Her archives were reflecting the programming we were having And so she's showing a lot of artist archives um, and it's a really wonderful way to show a lot of what's been happening in the city because I do feel that there's been so much going on in the city for so long and I do feel that there is a kind of strange amnesia that happens with like the city where like, yeah, where, like sure. people come and they're like, oh my God, there were only alligators here until Art Basel arrived. And it's like, no, not really. There is a... Um, and so it's it's really important. And yeah. even till this day, like I talk with Anita all the time about preserving archives and showing artists archives. And, um, you know, and, and Brooke here's... And all, I think all of us here are as passionate about archives uh, in this city as I am. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, I... Uh, and this is going to be probably the second last question because <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of the the questions that I had uh, were addressed. Um, but the second question is: um, You're all participating at Untitled Arts, and this is our it's going to be our 11th uh, anniversary. And but really our 10th because one was online, uh, our 10th physical. Fair in Miami, so we're still a young, uh, young art fair. I'm very uh, much looking forward to have you and other two spaces that are not here today: uh, Jupiter and uh, Name, um, uh, participating at Untitled this year. We have five Miami spaces, and I think this is important for us, for my colleague Clara and I, and for the team to have a much uh, a connection to the city 
uh, by bringing more of what's going on here and making sure that people see that there is uh, a lot going on. Um, I just want you, each of you, to tell us a little bit about what you're planning, or a little preview. I'm, I know what you're doing, but I, I'm sure the audience here will want to know. Thank you. Sure. Um, so uh, this year we are presenting a solo booth of Yusef Merhi's work. Um, Who's actually in the audience, right sitting all the way in the back. Yusef is uh, an incredible artist who we're all very lucky to have living here in Miami. And uh, he's a pioneer in digital art. And we're presenting uh, his newest datagram. He has a body of work called Datagrams in which Yusef hacks information from institutions and then uh, places all of the paper of emails, you know, letters and everything he hacks from those institutions into a spatial array that covers, you know, the wall. Um, his, you know, uh, if you had a chance to see um, the show at Ulight last year, he presented Maximum Security, which was uh, emails he spent six years hacking from Hugo Chavez uh, before he fled Venezuela. Um, so we're presenting his latest datagram, Kingpin, which is information collected from companies that do business with international criminal organizations. And yeah, it's, you know, light stuff. <laughs> also, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the special project he's and doing with Adriana Meneses. That's right. And so, uh, which well, is also very interesting. Yusef will also be presenting a special project with Adriana Meneses. Um, they'll be, uh, he is presenting a work that's in a datagram that's in conversation with Irvan. Am I saying that right? Uh, an artist that is from Adriana's mother's collection in Venezuela. Correct? Am I right about that? So you know the archives of uh, Adriana's uh, mother's collection is at the UM now. So they're working on organizing and and and, I, and we thought this would be a great opportunity for Adriana to also collaborate with a museum that is holding the archives and for us to have more connections with institutions in Miami as well. Yeah. And uh, finally, we'll be presenting a special project of Amanda Keeley's um, near the front of the fair. She is presenting a uh, very large uh, Buddhist prayer wheel sculpture that she's fabricated for the fair. And we're very excited for it. Yeah, very excited to work with Amanda. We have a long history of, of working together. Amanda has uh, participated at Untitled Art uh, many times with Exile Books and also as an artist. We have worked together. Uh, We've known each other for many years. We share um, the connection between New York and Miami. We both uh, are back and forth between the two cities. Uh, and I have a lot of respect uh, for both, for Joseph and Amanda. So it's going to be great great uh, works. Um, Brooke? Yep, and uh, we will have a booth with uh, three artists. Um, 
which is Robert Teeley, uh, who's, uh, I think, turned 80 last year. And he has been, um, I, I would say, he's one of the fathers of the Miami art community. He, has, he taught at Miami-Dade back in the 70s and um, was, is just an amazing artist. He has a studio. He has, him and his, his daughter also run a, uh, a space for hosting artists that are non-represented, non-affiliated artists. That's an older artist run a space. Yeah, yeah um, called Bridge uh, Red. And they're they're yeah. building they're building houses about uh, I think four or five studios as well. William Cordova is there, Luen Kaladny and Carol Brown. A number of other artists are, are there. Lucia. This is uh, in North Miami, so yeah. so it's nice to see that there are pockets throughout uh, Miami that not everything mm -hmm. is in the same same area. Yeah, no, it, it is is a nice spread out uh, there. Yeah. But but Robert is um, an amazing. Um, was a, an amazing teacher for the community here uh, in Miami and really got some things going here in Miami in the early days of the, the 70s before I arrived. Um, and then we'll also be showing uh, works by Onajide Shabaka, who's another one of these artists that has been around Miami for many, many years. Very, um, I would say, meditative artist. Very, uh, yeah, does a lot of research before he creates his pieces has a practice of walking and finding things that get inserted in there and finding ties between objects, which are really in, in such a very poetic way. Uh, and then also in the booth will be Yanira Collado. Uh, and, and younger, yeah, artists from younger the, artists. So two older artists with a younger artist yeah. in there. And uh, Yanira has been doing some amazing works also. And, and they're all... Yeah. Um, in some ways, dealing with abstraction. Yeah. I mean, conceptually exactly. based abstraction because there is a lot of research that goes into all of these three artists' work. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's something that I'm as a curator, um, I decided that this year we we had to pay attention to these uh, other forms uh, because there was you all know there was a lot of figuration in the last few years and. And it's, it is time uh, to create a balance because we cannot strictly follow the market. The market should be following us, curators and artists. Um, and uh, the moment you just start following uh, the market, then everything falls, falls flat. So we we really working very hard to have a very balanced uh, fair this year with my colleague Clara, which has been great to work together, curating and making selections and, and, um, yeah. So just a little, um, I don't know, publicity, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I hope you like this year's edition, uh, Layden. So what are you planning? Um, so we have quite a few selections of artists. We decided this year that we wanted to bring a nice collection of artists that we've worked with to the fair. Um, so we have uh, a couple of uh, international artists that are doing really well, like Ricardo Alcaide, uh, Leila Cardenas, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, together with them, we have a few artists that are working here, including myself and Francis, but also Francisco Maso, who's in the audience. 
Um, and it was just a nice way to showcase our program. Who's having a show right now, Francisco, in, in New York at, at a gallery called Off Paradise, which I'm very much looking forward to uh, to see it when C I'm in New York. Curated by the Nancy Spector. Oh, curated by Nancy Spector. Uh, that's fantastic. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and we actually just closed a solo project uh, by Francisco Maso in the space. Um, and for those of you that, that don't know the work, I mean, particularly we're in where we showed a whole new series of works. But um, the, the, the work that we will be showing at the fair is just a series of, of work that he's been making for a while now where he has been researching and tracking um, the uh, Cuban uh, state police in their undercover uh, clothing, which tends to be um, uh, these simple imported polo shirts that have very generic colored stripes. Um, and so based on the photographs from the footage of the state police oppressing citizens who are uh, demonstrating, he is basing uh, geometric abstraction, basically striped abstraction from directly from the shirts. Um, so I really love um, that element of work where, where the work is being t dictated by this sort of external um, uh, source this way. Um, so that's, you know, some of the work that he showed in the solo show and, and that we will be representing at the fair. I, I just want to say that uh, my colleague and I, Clara, we chai away when uh, gallery applies with a lot of artists in a booth because we feel like we don't want a supermarket. We need to narrow it down to three, two artists, maybe five artists if, if it is curated or a solo or two-person booth or presentations. But with you, with Dimensions Variable, you are masters at making it work. So if you tell me we're putting 200 artists in our little space, <laughs> I wouldn't even question it. And sort of uh, Clara, because... You guys, you guys make it beautiful. It is an installation. You're very good at uh, working the space, and you're both artists, so it makes sense. But also, you have a very specific aesthetic, and it translates into your curation as well. So, thank you. I will open it up to the audience, Clara. Yes, I want to say to Brooke, Grant, Leiden, Omar, thank you. Let's open it up for questions now. Is there any question that you would like to, to ask to the speakers tonight? Don't be shy. Of course. <laughs> of course, Ana Clara. Of course. I'm back. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> um, this is a question I have. I don't even, I don't have a space. I've done exhibitions in alternative spaces throughout the city, but I do have a, a friend who does have a space that she opened up Recently, it's in North Miami. It's Penn Project with Nicole Pozos. We're doing a, a visit there next week, actually. So this is a question I'm asking for her, but also I'm curious. <laughs> um, you guys have all been through different phases of having spaces, having to move, having to go through different neighborhoods, being younger and doing something new and being a little older and developing your ideas and developing... And this is the cheesiest question, but I actually really enjoy when people talk about this. Um, what kind of advice do you have for a young gallerist and someone who opened a space recently? And motivation to keep going, because I know it's hard, you know, the truth. 
Give me some advice. It, it does take a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy, especially over a long term. I, I don't know. Lynn, you know this from the, the box moving to... <laughs> I would sprinkle it with some insanity. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I, only by personal experience, but like our space is as old as our daughter. And like, we have friends like that don't live in Miami that are like, so hold on a second. What? Like you're doing how many things? But, you know, I mean, and we've gone through, I mean, the, the shift from into the new space in uh, Little River, Little Haiti, like the, the move to, to, to do that was a really difficult move because we had been through such an enormous hurdle. Like imagine working so hard not only at taking care of your art-related things, but working so hard to make sure that you open a space that respects the kind of work you want to show in it. And working so hard for like a year with like architects and like bureaucracy and like all this bullshit. And, and then you finally get the program going and you got to leave. That's the subject of insanity. Like that is like, and so I, I did go through a moment of just where it really was difficult. And, um, and much to my surprise, my partner, Francis was, was like, you cannot like, you know, allow this to happen. Or if it does end, it has to be on your terms or, you know, and so you pick up and you, and you just keep going and, um, and then you don't even remember what happened, and you know, because there's yeah. so many like cool things that happen. The, you know, the funny thing is, is it's almost like it's in your blood. You you just keep going. You just it's 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 something there. You know, if you you stop like when we when we closed the space in Winwood, and there was a long transition. We actually did a number of fairs, uh, untitled. I think one of them, and then um, before we reopened in Little Haiti. Uh, and, you know, there was some thought there, well, you know, do we do this? Do we do that? And, it, you know, then you see, you meet a young artist, you, you get reinvigorated by what they're doing. You go, wow, that's really cool. I like that. Let's do this. And, and next thing you know, you're off again. And, you know, it's in your blood. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I agree with both Brooke and Layden. You really... <laughs> you really have to be committed to it. You know, it's not something I would recommend trying out uh, <laughs> as like a, you know, I like an open opening our space to kind of like jumping off a cliff and trying to figure out how to fly on the way down. And um, I think, I think the one thing that has served me well and uh, continues to serve me well is being willing to kind of, um, adapt quickly. And I think it's something that Miami is suited for more so than other art cities. For sure. You know, you know like New York and London and LA, you, cities like that have very long, rich, you know, art histories. And there's certain ways of doing business and etiquette that exists in those places that, you know, everybody kind of follows. And Miami is, you know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword in that Miami doesn't have that restriction. And, you know, that makes it difficult in some ways, but also very, you know, 
very rich and you know uh, creates a lot of opportunity here so early on i talked to everyone i talked to every dealer every gallery every gallerist artists curators uh people at every i went to every single institution you know you just talk to everyone and i asked the same kind of questions that you're asking which is like you know uh, what what cuz every dealer and gallerist in the city has been through it and and every situation you can think of and uh you know i just i just was willing to kind of say like okay examine everything that we did and ask why are we doing it like this why does everybody do it like this and is it serving us and is there a better way to do it you know and in that way we kind of became an island unto ourselves but in, in the same sense we were able to create something that's authentically us and that suits our program and the way that we operate you know so i think that's the main thing is just being willing to find something that works for you and not worrying so much about what everybody else is doing it is also because i i know so many young galleries it is not a 9 to 5 job <laughs> <laughs> it's far from that is is um you know you close the gallery and then you go somewhere to meet people to talk to people you're constantly working is is a labor of love for sure is there any more questions sure okay hold on hold on then i go to you next <laughs> thank you Well first thank you for sharing each of your stories it was very interesting to learn more about your galleries and personal trajectory to get there I want to ask more of a gen z type of question which I'm obviously part of the very social media like generation in what way do you think social media has affected the value of galleries and the va value of art itself That's a yeah. good question yeah Um I think so social media I think has all, like very much followed art fairs in the way of just being a really uh valuable sales platform. Um you know I I think like that's the thing that most dealers and gallerists probably struggle the most with which is you know facilitating sales and you know finding the right platforms for that because the days of kind of you know patrons who uh you know who <laughs> just that word yeah, you know elicits word. like a rumble of laughter across this, the this standard patron <laughs> that patron comes word. in every yeah. uh, every show you know, now that, that doesn't it, exist no and it's much of a wider network now because yeah. of that i mean that's the nature of social media it allows you to to spread a wider net um and uh when you meet somebody now you you know you don't you do obviously direct people to your website but you also do it through follow me on instagram then you find exactly where what what i'm looking at you know or i show that way it's a lot easier it's very quick and uh yeah. i hate it i know <laughs> I, I, i do i, 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 I do too i do too super analog and like i don't you know tweet or any of that stuff and you know i just uh for me it's very difficult It's very difficult. I sometimes come across interesting presentations on like social media 
that I think are suited for like that platform. But other than that, like for me, I'm such a tactile person. I need to be in front of the thing and you miss like the experience, which is, you know, like if anyone in here who has had an emotional experience standing in front of a painting or a sculpture or whatever it is, like, you know what that was for you. Like that is not something easily replicated on digital media. It also I would have to con- contrast that. <laughs> no, I, I, I have to contrast. Uh, I mean, I I I think that um, it's a game changer. I think it's like I, you know, I was telling somebody the other day that's that um, if I'm doing, for example, not necessarily selling, but if 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 I'm doing like a studio visit with an artist which might be completely different than what Omar does because I don't have the flying budget that he does. Um, oh God. But if I'm, doing, if, I'm, if I'm doing like a studio visit with an artist, it's almost like the final step because there's a lot of online research that's being done where I'm looking at exhibitions, projects, like work, and I'm really... Uh, I've 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 reached out to people on Instagram because I'm like, whoa, what's this? And... And there's a lot of homework being done and a lot of research being done in that space, whether it's Google search, whether it's Instagram, whether, you know, and so that studio visit is almost like a final step of like, okay, I need to kind of go, if I'm not aware of the practice, I need to go have a conversation and, you know, but there's a lot of research being done in that space. So it does cover a lot of ground, like Brooke is saying, there's there's a lot of power when you've got, you know, 20K followers and up or whatever. But even at our modest level, you know, um, there's still an audience that is uh, engaging with you. And it's also very interesting because I have found that it's that it can be very democratic and it could be very liberating to people who, for example, there's a feeling that happens when someone goes into a gallery who may not be a patron, right, for them to walk up to a dealer in the middle of an opening or any other time because galleries tend to be kind of intimidating to say, hey, how much is that? Or like, can you talk to me more about, you know, but I feel like social media breaks that down where people feel more at ease to send a message or comment or say something about whatever's going on. It could be a talk and they're asking a question. Um, you know, so I feel like there's so many advantages to it. Um, and you know. It is a tool. Um, but I, I, I see my friend Alex Balls here. No, I sitting. have a question in, here. In, in the Hi. audience. I'm going first. <laughs> to follow up her question. So, so I, um, I was, as, as some of you know, my husband and I, we moved here from London. So we know a lot of London galleries. So suddenly I get an email from uh, Copperfield, which is a London gallery, and they are representing uh, Jamila Sabour. So I was like, oh, Will, how do you get to know Jamila's work? He's like, oh, I found her on Instagram. And basically... Fast forward, Will had a project, a freeze, with Jamila Sabour and Oscar Santillan, an Equatorian artist based in London. So my question is, do you 
have time to look for potential new artists on Instagram? Or do you use it in that way? Because I was completely like shocked that this pale British guy found, he's really pale. He found <laughs> Jamila and thin, yeah. He found Jamila on Instagram. I mean, I, I can quickly, um, there was an artist that we were scheduling a project with that I came to know on Instagram, sent a message on Instagram and made contact, but then later found out that a collector friend of mine already owned the work. And then they also reached out to the artist and made the sort of circular connection of like, hey, this is a legit space you might want to show with them. So yeah, for sure, there's there's definitely discoveries to be made on Instagram. Um, I just I I don't just because of the way that I connect and work with artists. Um, you know, I, I feel a lot like Brooke that like it's a labor of love having a space and running a program. And um, my artists are my family. You know, like their problems become your problems you know, and I talk to them as much as I do like my own family members. So if you're adding someone to the family, um, you know, like I, I, I would rather meet them in person than try and date them from long distance, you know, <laughs> and, you know, each of the artists that we represent are, I, I either developed a very strong personal relationship with them, you know, in person, or I've known them and watched their work you know, for years before yeah. I asked them to be a part of our program. And, that, and that's, that's the same for us. But there, I will say that, um, so in, uh, as you know, uh, Emerson Dorsch, I'm Brooke Dorsch, but it, it, the other Emerson is my wife, Tyler Emerson Dorsch. Um, and uh, she is the, I would say, the main curator uh, currently of the shows. We, we, I mean, we do it all together, myself, Yvette, um, and our and our fantastic team who are all here today, Rachel and Danny. Um, and, but there are times when we are, when we started working on shows for the summer and, uh, and at that time, I know Tyler does a lot of like looking around there, but it is a process. That's just the, the like the, the research that like Layden was saying there, but then you have to meet the person. I, I do. I'm totally a tactile person in terms of that. And I think that's that's part of it. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. It's more like a, like a tool, and and even this conversation that we're having now, we would have done it uh, uh, through Zoom. It's just a completely different experience. <laughs> I mean, it's so nice to see you all here and to feel proximity. is is very special, the physical space. And and my friend Alex Valls, who is an artist, but also an amazing producer, curator. She's done so many shows. I remember when I was in isolation for about a year during the pandemic, she got me out of the house to, to do a show with her, with her project uh, in the Gables. And it was so special because I was tired of communicating through social media, through Zoom, through whatever. And, and it was just amazing. It was the first time we all came out to... To, to the public and and thank you Alex for doing it <laughs> that was a great fun night shout out to Alex Bells 
Um, I have a question. Um, I want to thank you all for being here and for creating this night for everyone, first of all. But um, so, yeah, Grant, you mentioned that there's a certain insanity that is needed to be a gallerist or have an exhibition space. And I'm an artist and I think there's a certain uh, insanity there as well. And I was just wondering to the whole panel, everyone up there, what do you think is a worse idea, being an artist or running a space? <laughs> artist run space. No. <laughs> Man, I don't, that's a really great question. Um, I think uh, being an artist is brutal. Um, you know, like it really being any kind of artist is brutal. And it's, you know, I used to, I taught a like intro to creative writing class at UMass and I would get a handful of students that would want to like apply to an MFA and, you know, pursue writing. And I would tell every single class each semester the same exact thing. Like, if you don't wake up in the morning with, like, that compulsion to create, then don't pursue this life. You know, it's not worth it. It's, 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 uh, it's difficult. It's financially straining. You know, like... I, you know, I, 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 I tell a lot of them, like, you'd be much happier bartending and just, like, you know, living a life. Um, if you have that compulsion, you know, like, then, then I'm, like, all for it. You know, like, if you wake up with that and you can't help yourself kind of thing, and it's like an itch in the back of your head, if you're not, like, creating or curating or whatever it is, like, if you have that, then you'll be fine. Because you'll figure out whatever it takes to scratch that itch. And that's what it takes. It takes everything. Oh, am I supposed to chime in on that, I guess? Yeah, it's... Yeah. I, I mean, he just said it. Artists run space. Like, what can I tell you? <laughs> I'll add to that. Like, artist marriage. Artist parents. Like... <laughs> I mean, we homeschool our kid for crying out loud. Right, right? No, I mean, it, it, it's sprinkled with insanity. And like, I mean, but, you know, for us, it's like, it's like that itch is there constantly. And it's a part of every conversation. It's a part of life. It's a part of the child rearing. It's a part of everything. I mean, we're incapable of like fixing our kitchen. Because it's not right, and we're too busy scratching that itch in a bunch of different places. Um, so yeah, it's really complicated. I think uh, both of us feel incredibly fortunate that you know we're pushing fifty, late forties, um, and and we have a kid, and like we're still circling in in that space and. Sometimes I talk with other artists or students or whatever, and I, I, I like to say that, you know, the experience we've been through really breaks some of the misconceptions or expectations from artists. Because I do feel that, and this is part of like the studios that we have at DV also try to do that. And that is this idea that 
that art is always being produced and constantly being made nonstop. And that is your sole job. And, and I think that this is why like tenured positions exist at universities, because I do feel that the process of making, the process of research, the process of creativity, the process of even science and these things that are, that are very complicated, but also creativity is incredibly complicated. They take time. And, you know, I, I, I don't care to say that I've gone a year where I don't produce anything because I was thinking. And, and then it's like, well, well, some artists think by producing, like my wife. Well, okay, she makes and she thinks through the making process. Sometimes you have to just get, take some distance and think. And that's the hardest thing to have as life begins to unravel is the precious time to just think. And it's so hard and you really have to juggle so many things. And, um, and so we're, we're, we're coming out, we, we constantly come out the other end of like, oh, we've got to run and help this respected artist that we invited to do a project, help them think about their work. And maybe we, we're not creating our own work, but we're being creative by bouncing ideas with an artist who's asking us what we think about their work. That's part of the practice. And, and so, you know, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's, it's really uh, a commitment, uh, insanity, and just like Brooke also said, like every moment is, um, is kind of like, you're, you're just thinking about the next thing. Like, oh, that could be cool. Just recently we were debating work and we're like, this is why we need to keep doing what we're doing because we're not seeing what we want to see. And so we need to keep showing what we want to, to be out there in space. Um, and that was, you know, just recently. Um, so there's always a thing of like, no, I want to see this. So I need to keep doing this. I think, uh, artists don't exist on their own orbit is, is about the community is about the people you talk to. And we can go back to every, uh, time in history that is about community. Even even going back to cave paintings, it was all about community. It was about communicating. So when artists tell you, "I'm a genius. I have amazing work," but I don't co I don't relate to anyone. I'm like, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. The work doesn't exist. Hello. Um, I'm, I'm so glad to have been here for this, um, truly, uh, because it's wonderful to hear you talking about the history of Miami and, um, and hearing Brooke talking as the closer, um, talking about 30 years back. And so as a librarian, as an archivist, I ask, and especially because we're talking about archives, how are all four of you really, um, thinking about the legacy of the projects that you've been doing, if you are thinking about it, if not, think about it. And, um, and also perhaps just to kind of give you something to work off of, if in the end you have this one artifact that's going to describe the legacy that you've had, do you have something that comes to mind? Um, I know that we've, I've, I've over the years, just every couple of years we'll, drop something off at the Vasari project, which 
of course, is the, I don't know if you, uh, of course, everybody knows about the Vasari project at the library that has an archive of spaces in Miami and some of the invitations of ephemera that I have and things like that. I think that's, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I owe the Vasari a lot of stuff. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about that one artifact, but yeah. we're very conscious of this. Um, you know, we're now thinking about, we're thinking about um, you have to write, you have to publish, you have to document. You have to, if you don't do any of these things, like, you know, that part of the story, that part of the history is not told. Um, and so we're now writing grants and doing our part in terms of getting uh, publication uh, done. We're commissioning a lot of writers to contribute and write essays on what we're doing. Um, and it's just so important in a vacuum of critical writing in the city, we've decided that we're going to commission writing ourselves instead of waiting around for critical writing in the city. Um, and I wish I had the time to actually put out a publication <laughs> with critical writing, but I don't. Um, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's incredibly important. And of course, giving a platform to uh, WAM, Women Artists Archive Miami, is another exercise in making sure that archives are preserved and these stories are told um, because um, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's important and it's really needed. Um, and so much of us have so much history that we've been around. I mean, and I, I, you know, like I've met a few folks that went back even further than us, like where I didn't know them in the city and then I got to meet them and to know that they were doing the kind of work that they were doing in the seventies and eighties in Miami was to me incredibly inspiring because it's like, okay, to be doing that kind of work in New York in the seventies and eighties. All right. You were surrounded by amazing figures. I get that. Like what an incredible time to be in New York, but to be doing it in Miami in the vacuum that was Miami at that time, that was like trailblazing. If anything was, so I really, um, you know, was super inspired by by these folks. Um, Mary Luft being one of them. Um, but anyway, yeah. So publish, publish. Yes, yes. More writers. Yay. That was actually how we ended in the, the, the last talk was talking about writing in Miami. In yeah. Um, I, I, and I'm sure you, you also have something to say, but in last year I uh, became the international director for Yes Contemporary. Actually, one of our uh, artists that we support from El Salvador is uh, an organization that supports artists from El Salvador and now Central America, Mesoamerica. So we're expanding. And it's a Studio Lenka who's sitting here in the audience. He's doing the Fontanhead residency, um, and he's going to have a special project with uh, the foundation uh, at Untitled. But uh, the reason why I mention it is that yesterday I had a, a conversation like this with my colleague uh, about it's not just about supporting artists or curators or writers. How can we 
materialize this through an archive? Um, how can we preserve all the things that we're doing? Uh, of course, we're doing uh, a publication next year that is going to be focused on Central America, um, specifically because very little is known about that region. But that's a way of preserving everything that is happening there. When you say Miami was a vacuum, it is very difficult in parts of Central America like El Salvador, yet the production is amazing. The artists, um, what's happening there. So I encourage you to pay attention to the region because it's a region that have had so much conflict over the years. But out of conflict, a lot of things uh, surface. So to pay attention to that. Uh, what about you in terms of archives, uh, grants? Yeah. Um, or in terms of I mean, it's preserving? The artifact is a book. You know, that's for sure. I know that. Um, but I, uh, you know, we... <clears throat> I, I knew when we opened the gallery that uh, we wanted to at some point create an anthology, but like Layden said, it is like you're juggling a million other things and like having the time and the money to publish and everything else is, and the staff to, you know, like I, I thought to myself like, Oh, I worked as a fiction editor and an editorial assistant. Like I can, you know, like I'll proof that stuff and do it. Like it's, you know, and I have a four-year-old, so that's impossible. Um, so, uh, you know, I just collect everything. Like, I collect all the photos, put everything, like, you know, we just save everything because, you know, you know you're going to need it at some point. But the day for that's that true. anthology is so far away. That's funny you say you collect everything. I'm a hoarder, which is terrible. <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> I just I have invitations when they used to print and when I moved to New York from every other single gallery that I used to go to. I still have it. Yeah. You if you keep books and catalogs from like, you know, my father has collected every catalog from every show that he's started going to like in the sixties. And he just has this unbelievable library. And those books, you know, and those catalogs are so much more than just like the content inside, like the design of them, you know, the type of pages, like they're time capsules, you know, for, for art history. And, um, you know, like that's the way I see it is it needs to, it's something that should reflect, you know, the time and, and the history. And I don't know what it looks like for us yet, but. Something. Well, thank you. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you, the speakers. Thank you as well to Ana Clara, the Arts Club, and Soko House. And of course, we see you all at the 11th edition of Untitled Art Miami Beach. This Ooh. coming 28 November through Saturday, December 3rd. Thank you again. Thank you.